0: This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer
1: at learn.thoughtbot.com. It's our tagline Build Phase. No nonsense.
0: Hey, everybody. This is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Phase. So this is our last episode for the year. This is airing on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas, everyone. Right?
1: Yes. Also Merry Christmas. Christmas. Um, um, on the 25th. Yes. Yeah, and it, Gordon. And and Festivus or whatever. I don't know. Don't be such a Scrooge about it. <laughs> and then we'll be taking
0: two weeks off and a new episode of Build Phase will be in your podcatchers <laughs> January 15th.
1: Was with the creepy laugh after the
0: <laughs> It wasn't meant to be creepy. It was just that word is dumb pod catcher like i propose that like we refer to ourselves as pod throwers <laughs> because then the listeners the handsome listeners professional pod thrower they receive the thrown pod in their podcatcher. hold on i have a black and white picture of an old-timey kid and a chicken <laughs> sitting in a chair smoking a cigarette it's perfect for this
1: what are you working on this week or like these two days
0: um, I'm actually not. Are you doing client work? Yeah, mm, because I'm uh, going on vacation. Are you actually going to go? It's looking that way. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> got my, my queue down. I have like two or three stories, which I'll get done today, and then I'm going to interview a guy for them, and then I will be done.
1: Nice. That feels good.
0: Yeah. All Trails was my level up. That's exciting. What
1: are you doing? What's uh? I'm learning me some Haskell. Ah, got it. I somehow ended up in the nerdiest project probably <laughs> we're doing. It's it's cool though. We're learning, trying to learn functional programming. So it's not even specifically about Haskell. Like the idea was write a simple application in, Has- in Haskell. So we're doing like ZSH history analysis. So a really simple thing that takes your ZSH history, reads through it, and then tells you like what commands you use most and it's like weighted by the length of the command so you know if you run longer commands more often then they bubble up to the top got it and it, it it's there to show you basically things that you could alias better so like for the ruby people specifically like if you're running rake a lot maybe you want to alias that to r because that just saves you three keystrokes but when it when you've run it you know 700 times or something like that (laughs) keystrokes add up
0: yeah it just becomes well well, like four keystrokes it just becomes like one right like right your fingers are just like slamming down on keys within milliseconds of one another in the right order
1: and yeah and so so like one of the things is we started doing it and then after we kind of implemented in haskell we were like this is incredibly useful (laughs) (laughs) because you end up doing a lot of tab completion you know what i mean so like Ben Orenstein had uh, like these Git scripts, like Git dash commits dash by dash something date whatever. I don't know. Like he had some like custom Git scripts that were in his path that he ran that way all the time. But he just he you know it's not like he typed all that out. He typed G maybe G I T dash and then tab. Tab, 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 you know what I mean? Just, like, tabs through the rest, so. But it's still, you know, it's fun. So, like, we wrote it in Haskell, um, and then uh, Ben knows some Closure, so we wrote it in Clojure. And then uh, before, uh, and then Pat Brisbane was, he re-did it in Haskell. Like, he refactored the whole thing, made it much smaller. Much harder to read if you don't know Haskell, but... Uh, according to the people that do know haskell much easier to read if you do so like i looked at it and i was like cool now i have no idea what that is but they were like no this makes way more sense now i sure they're just not trying to keep us object-oriented folk out right <laughs> i don't know man but so then we so we refactored in has we refactored the haskell version and then before i came down here we were refactoring the closure version closure is screwed man uh, have you ever seen closure no parentheses everywhere like i can <laughs> like people complain about about square brackets in objective c which you don't even need in this right but this was like everything is it's a lisp right so i don't know very very little about lisps but the you know programming thing not the speech impediment um i just I have to clarify i know a good bit about lisps the speech impediment do you well, I know that it's when you go instead of s. That that list. is a good that is a right. good amount. It's <laughs> <That's, laughs> <that's> pretty close <laughs> to as much knowledge. I think that's a functional knowledge of <laughs> Lisps. Okay, but like to multiply. So like uh, we the first thing you know is like opening the REPL. So uh, so I opened a closure REPL. So if I open a, a closure REPL and I want to do like I want to multiply two times three, right? So I know two space star space three. And that results in two line break core dollar sign underscore star underscore closure dot core dollar sign underscore star underscore at 166F5AE2 line break three. <laughs> what <laughs> right so the way you have to do it i think let me make sure hold on before i make an ass on myself was it just taking every character and like evaluating it somehow and that's what the asterisk ended up being yeah i think so yeah i don't know how to do actually i'm learning right now i thought i knew i thought i understood it enough to know how to do some addition, but i don't so here we are i don't understand closure at all how long did it take you yesterday to kind of get like up on your feet with functional programming I'm still not i uh, I mean we we like i i we I sat around basically all day yesterday and watched Pat and Joe Ferris write Haskell and I'm just like okay like the big thing for me was like there's so little syntax that it has a tendency to like kind of obfuscate what's happening or it makes it harder to understand right like it like like little things right like you don't use parens to hold the arguments for a function in haskell so if it's like a c function you would have a function named foo so it would be foo paren argument or paren, you know argument comma argument comma argument in haskell it's just foo space argument, space, argument, space, argument. And the way you do – they use parens the way you use them like in math for like setting precedence. So the parens would go around foo. So if you want to run the the result of foo three, if you want to pass that into bar, you could do bar, space, paren, Foo space three, paren, right, and that'll right. Okay, yeah, I but then followed. you can you can replace parens with dollar signs, so you can run that same thing by doing bar, space, dollar sign, space, foo, space three. I think <laughs> this is this is we're we're quickly reaching like the limit of my knowledge about Haskell, other than they have sweet names for things like monad and thunk thunk is a thing that's <laughs> such thunk? a great word thunk I'm not entirely sure what it is, but it's totally a thing, and that's such a sweet word, apparently they can leak too yep. it's it's a, a memory it's a memory management thing it's like a it's like a chunk of code that's. Evaluated and held in memory. I think I could be totally wrong about this. Yeah. So, what I know about Haskell after a day is that it's really hard to read right now. And they're really good at naming things. Solid language. Yep. Well, their API, their API documentation search engine is Hoogle. (laughs) That's so good. And like they, (laughs) they just, so they have like an RSpec clone. And they have a uh, test unit clone, right? Or not clone, but they have spec and test unit, which are from Ruby, right? And they just call it HSpec and unit. <laughs> it's so good. Like if you want to know if, you, if you, there's something in Ruby and you want to know what the same thing is in Haskell, just try putting an H in front of it. It's probably that. Is there like a Hake command? I, I don't know. That's a good question. Their package managing system is called Cabal. Oh it?
0: man, I was really hoping for Hoobie Gems.
1: That would have been good too. Dude, the system doesn't always work. <laughs> right. But yeah, I started reading that the Haskell book this morning too. Because I think it's interesting. I, I think that the functional programming stuff has interesting concepts to it that I think would be fun to bring back to uh iOS. I like the immutability stuff that they do. And the value in, value out concept, right? So like Functions in Haskell or in a purely functional language like Haskell, functions don't have side effects or shouldn't have side effects. And so – and everything is a value in, value out thing. So I pass a value into a function and I get a value out of the function. That makes it super easy to test, right? Because I can just say I want to test my sum sum function, you know, and I test it by passing in – two and three and asserting that I get five back. Like it's that simple. And everything is kind of like that, right? I send an object in or not an object. I send a value in, I get a value out, which is nice. I, I started saying something right before I got onto that value. Oh, and the immutability thing. Like they, you, they will fake mutability sometimes by doing a, like I pass a thing in and I get a similar thing back. But it's just a new instance of that thing, right? So they're not mutating the thing that I passed in. So maybe I pass in a struct, like a struct that has a count in it. Like in this case, in this ZSH thing, it was like we had, we had a type that was essentially – it's essentially a struct. And it had a command and a count, I think. And so then we passed that into a function that would increment the count. But all it did is created a new struct with that pulling that command out and the count plus one,
0: okay that makes sense so this sounds ideal for like concurrent programming yeah, I know nothing about functional programming, but I want to know because I want to I want to try reactive cocoa
1: yeah yeah i'm I'm hoping that I'm hoping that kind of like wrapping my head around functional programming better will help me understand why reactive cocoa is appealing because I still just kind of don't get it.
0: I think I I need to see how it's used in a real app and not a trivial example.
1: Reactive Cocoa, you mean? Yeah. Like, do they use it on GitHub for Mac? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where it was extracted from. So I'm pretty sure that it's using Reactive Cocoa. I know that um, Brightcove, their SDK is all built on Reactive Cocoa. Yeah, I want to – I'm trying to learn this more. I'm going on vacation next Thursday, so I'm hoping to read the Haskell book. Over the course of that time and try to learn Haskell better and learn functional programming a little bit better. What are you gonna make with it? You have an idea
0: I don't know. Something. I actually
1: I actually had a thought of trying to redo parts of liftoff in Haskell just as like an ex, like a like no reason, right? There's no real reason to move that away from Ruby, but but you know, rewriting parts of it in Haskell could be a fun experiment. Yeah. Plus, there was this. Uh, I think one of our coworkers, maybe it was George, wrote this thing about. He, uh, just he wrote. He posted on Twitter. It was like, unless your command line app is supposed to be used primarily by Ruby developers, there's really no reason to distribute it over RubyGems. gems. And I was kind of like, ah, that's a good point. <laughs> like, why, <laughs> why do we do that? Like, I don't know. I, I think in this case,
0: it was just accessible. It was easy. Or when I started it, I was just surrounded by Ruby developers, so why wouldn't I choose Ruby?
1: Right, me too. But it's it's almost like like does should Co- like does CocoaPods really need to be a gem, or could it be it could be a you know it seems I know it's written in Ruby, but it seems like it could be something like that you install with Homebrew. You know what I mean? And it's like right now I essentially have two package managers on my on my system. I have uh, Homebrew, and then I have RubyGems Gems, and that's you know what I mean like there's there's stuff that I have to install with Ruby gems, and there's stuff that I have to install with Homebrew, and I don't do that much root ru- like all this the Ruby gems that I try to keep installed are not are their command line utilities, you know what I mean? like I have a wrapper for like a thing for doing better git pulls, lift off CocoaPods, the Nomad CLI stuff from Matt Thompson gist which i don't think i even use oh yeah i do for creating gist from the command line and then git dash smart which is abandoned and i should probably wean myself off of it but it does like super nice polls. are those just aliases what get smart uh no so it adds a new um smart it adds a few commands smart dash pull smart dash log smart Something else. I don't use any of them. I only use the smart pull. And smart pull, it does a few things that I really like. Where if if you have uncommitted changes, it stashes those automatically and then pops that stash after it's done the pull. It also it it's smarter about do which pull method to use based on the kind of changes that it sees on the server, like whether to do a pull rebase or a pull. I don't know what the other ones are. Like I just don't I don't ever use those options anymore because I just do I have it alias to G U P. And then uh it also displays my probably my favorite feature is when I do a pull, it prints a, the log of everything that's changed. So the commit log between the commit that I had and the new commit. That's nice. It's I like that. it's really nice. Um, that's probably my favorite thing, right? The other stuff is, is kind of nice and I see it every now and then, but it's really nice to be able to be like G up and then here's everything that's changed. And I can just peruse that git log and just be like, okay, like maybe something changed that shouldn't have, or maybe someone sneak, snuck a commit in, you know what I mean? It's like, oh crap, that breaks, that changes stuff that I was trying to do over here in this other branch or something like that, you know? So it's nice to have that kind of feedback. But yeah, like those don't need to be, those don't need to be ruby gems. You know what I mean? Those, those should probably be installed in another way. Maybe doing that Git thing would be fun to do. Maybe I should do that in Haskell, like re-implementing the Git smart pull stuff that I was just talking about. Re-implement that in Haskell.
0: I think that sounds more compelling than rewriting LiftOff. Right. Have you used uh, DeployMate?
1: Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I used it when we've, we, I haven't, I actually haven't used it since we got a license to it. Um, they, they frustrated me with their demo strategy. Do you know their demo strategy? So like, if you don't, if you haven't bought a license for it, it gives you, do you want to explain what deployment is before we go into this?
0: Yeah. Deploymate looks over your code and basically tells you, um, you know this app- Maybe built for 7.0 or 6.1, we'll say, and you're using the 7.0 only API, and it gives you warnings just like an Xcode, like warning you about um, incompatible API use. Yeah, it saved me quite
1: a bit. Sup- yeah, super useful. I recommended it to my last client because they they were doing that SDK stuff, and the SDK had to support two different versions. But since it's all distributed through CocoaPods, there wasn't any way to like, you know, it's not like there was a static library there that they were constantly compiling and releasing that would give them warnings when stuff was deprecated or, or they were using stuff that wouldn't run on older stuff, whatever. They so you know we were losing um, one level of safety there, and I even made the mistake right where we were supposed to support back to iOS 5 um on the kind of business logic SDK just because that's where we started it and i used um ns map table at one point uh and didn't even think about it just wrote the thing sent it up you know went on with my life and then like 2 weeks later i was like oh crap uh <laughs> I was like, I, I used NS map table like a week and a half ago. <laughs> we should probably either change that or bump the, you know, the version supported version. But so I actually recommended it to them to um bring into their kind of like release process just to make or the review process to make sure that they didn't run into those issues going forward. But they're so I when they first came out, I looked at them and their demo thing drove me crazy because the way their demo works, like if you don't have a license, you can run it on your project and then it will show you a random number of of errors between zero and six. So sometimes it'll just say like, Nope, you're good. And then other times it'll say, here's this one problem. And then other times it'll say, here's this, here's these two other problems. And it's like, that's not (laughs) a demo of your product. That's, Like, if I'm gonna demo your product, I want to see. Like, I'm trying to evaluate if this is gonna help me, and if you're just (laughs) changing the output, like that doesn't. How am I supposed to know? You know.
0: Yeah, that's a crappy. That's a crappy. It's so bad. I like the way Chocolat does it, where after 15 days or whatever, they they force your font
1: to Comic Sans. Yeah, that's brilliant. (laughs) That's awesome. It's brilliant because you know. You, you're used, you've you you used the product and they're not taking the product away from you. They're just going to make it kind of awful to deal with. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's – I think Marco Arment in Build and Analyze at – like he had this – there was one episode on pricing like early, early on um, and one of the things he was talking about was like – introducing pain points for customers to get them to upgrade, right? Like you have to find the right – if you have, for example, uh, like he, at the time he was – I think he was talking about why he killed Instapaper free um, and just had Instapaper Pro, which is now just Instapaper. um, And he, he just couldn't find the pain point, right? Like he couldn't find a reasonable pain point to introduce in the free version that would compel people to upgrade – to the the pro version, but that in chocolate is like a perfect pain point because you're if you, you know used for the 15 days and if you like it, 15 days is more than enough time to kind of be like, yeah, no, this is my editor now. This is what I'm gonna use. And so on day 16, when you open it up and all your codes in Comic Sans, you you click that button <laughs> It says yep. like, you know, purchase or whatever.
0: Like if I've if I've gotten used to something and it switched to Comic Sans, I'll pay fifty bucks. Oh, to It saved me after seven came out. I I kept getting bit by a tint color. Like I would set a tint color, thinking, "Oh yeah, this will be fine. It'll just be ignored on 6. But no, it's just certain UI view subclasses had tint color before seven, and now it's actually on UI view. And then and then like the old like so for like bars like search bar, it used to be tint color, but now what that used to do is now bar tint color. It's screwing me up there for a bit. Deploymate saved me.
1: That was probably my favorite UI bug, like coming into the iOS 7 beta, like opening up, for example, Foursquare. And Foursquare has a ser- – at the time, I, I think they changed their UI. But they at the time, they had a search bar in the nav bar. And the search bar was tinted to match the nav bar color with tint color. <laughs> and then iOS 7 came out, and so all of a sudden, you just had this – Different color blue nav search bars stuck up in them. It just looked freaking awful. Like, we had the same problem yeah.
0: on this app. The
1: other good one was um,
0: so the default tint color was causing all of our text field carrots to blend in to the text field because the tint color was white. Uh-huh. And I, I'm like looking at this thing and I'm like, I have no idea where these carrots went. Like <laughs> iOS 7 did something to these text fields. <laughs> and then it finally just dawned on me one day. I think I woke up and was like, oh yeah, tint
1: color. That that always seems to happen. I figure things out in sleep. That is kind of nice that so you could set tint color then on the text field itself and just change the just the carrot colors, right? Because that trickles down. Or is it a class thing? No, you can you could set it right on the text field. And I think
0: you, you can use the appearance proxy on it too. So if you wanted to do all text fields, you could just do text field appearance set tint
1: color. That's a nice way of like hiding the hiding just hiding the carrot right so like i had some text fields that they were controlled by like a picker view or something um like in that form stuff that we were talking about right i had a text field that it was getting its data from a picker basically like i wanted to select a date in a in a date picker and then have the date the text version of the date show up in the text field but so like having a cursor there or having the carrot didn't make any sense at all to have that carrot there. So, you know, I had to override, um, draw, I think it was like, it's like draw carrot at rect or something like that.
0: The way I've done that before is I've just used labels for things like that.
1: Yeah. This seemed this, we had some, there was more behavior in it that I didn't want to have to duplicate like an active state. So like it changed some colors, um, and it had a custom background thing. So like it didn't have a background, but it drew an underline, under the text field, so it looked like you were like writing it out on a line, and so that line had to change. There's like a bunch of behavior that this text field had based on whether it was in an active or inactive state, um, and I didn't want to duplicate all that with a label, and then have to also deal with tap gesture recognizers on the label. Plus, there was just there were enough things that were would have to be duplicated or would have been a pain in the neck to do. So this made more sense. Do you use xc tool at all?
0: Not directly. It's set up, it's set up on Jenkins, but I haven't touched
1: it in months. Is there a reason you haven't switched to using um, the new xcode build with the uh, one? I didn't know that x there was like a new xcode build and well, I mean with xcode five, xcode build was updated with xcode five.
0: Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that. Um, so one no, because I, I don't know. <laughs> And two, because I'm afraid to ever change anything on
1: Jenkins <laughs> because he's so fickle. That's, that's fair. So with Xcode five, so the problem the reason X c tool existed, the reason Fred Potter wrote it, was mainly from my understanding, was mainly because there was no way to run tests from Xcode Build before. You'd have to create like a custom scheme that wrote the ran the tests or whatever, like it didn't have any integration with the test functionality of Xcode. You couldn't get to that from Xcode build. And so that's why XC tool takes you can pat you can tell it you can say test and it will just run the tests for that scheme as opposed to having to create a custom scheme that just builds and run the tests and does like, you know, whatever. But the new Xcode build does know about tests. So the syntax is actually incredibly similar, where you just say Xcode build, and then you pass in the scheme and the target, I think. And then you just say test, and it will run your tests. Oh, nice. How's the output? Gross. But that's why uh, Marin, Marin, I'm not going to. He's the lead maintainer of um, Kiwi now, and he's on the Cocopods team. He wrote a thing uh, called XC Pretty, which is awesome. And like the Unix geek in me loves it because all it does is you run Xcode build and you pipe the output from Xcode build into XC Pretty. And then XC Pretty formats the output. In a nice way and like adds color and like white space. So it's not just like a big block of text and formats, you know, does, does the right thing for like, if you run your test from the command line, it'll, you know, give you the right output and tell you it's, it's essentially a for just a output formatter for Xcode builds format. So that's nice because XC tool, XC tools, as far as I know, XC tool is essentially re-implementing huge chunks of Xcode build. Because it's not, it's not using Xcode build. It's just building it, right? So this way, you could go back to using Xcode build. So you're not relying on a third-party system. You're relying on the stuff that Apple is supporting. And then if you want the better output, you just pipe it over to it. XC Pretty. That's awesome. I, I like the RSpec style one. Oh yeah, because yeah, because you can you can create f- different formatters for it, right? Yeah. So he it comes with a few formatters, but yeah, default and RSpec style, or just the you know awesome dots ticking by. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the nice things about like a tool like RSpec is that you can actually create custom formatters too. Um. So like you can have formatter, you can have your output do kind of whatever you want with RSpec. So you can build a format of it that does whatever it could post to a freaking an API endpoint, or do ba- literally like just do whatever. It's just kind of a Ruby file that can do whatever you want it to do. And so XC pretty kind of opens at us that up to us as well. I actually don't run tests in the command line very often, like ever actually. But so I'm not sure how often I will use it, but I think it's a nice progression and I'm happy. I mean, I can't thank Fred Potter enough for kind of like opening that door and creating XE tool. Cause when it came out, it was like, oh dang, that's exactly the kind of thing we needed. And it sucks that it's, it was kind of obsoleted so fast by, you know, or Sherlocked a little bit, like a few weeks after, (laughs) but you know, I'm sure that
0: plenty of people still use it. I'm so compelled by the idea of using this formatter to like send the output somewhere for like further evaluation. Like, if I could have it hooked up to a Mac and then use the speech synthesizer to announce who broke the build when the tests fail on <laughs> CI, that would make me so happy. Just pu- yeah. public shaming.
1: Yeah, right. That's what technology's for.
0: Yeah, I'm going to do it. This is going to be my focus for the next couple months, Sweet. every every Friday. <laughs> public shaming utility. Shame formatter. Is it dumb to say that Xcode 5 is one of my favorite tools of 2013? Because it's obsoleted a bunch of crap. Like, like that ks image named or no not exactly
1: yeah i haven't used that in a while ks image named it wasn't working for me because we were using constants for our uh image names so we were defining all of the constants in a file and then using the constants instead of strings for the image name and it was breaking that completion um, and it was actually breaking that completion on the entire line where I'd type in the constant and I'd have to do it by hand. And then even if I hit tab anywhere after that, KS image name was still trying to complete the image names, but I don't even know that it works with, with uh, the assets. I'm not sure. I'm actually Googling right now
0: because I was trying to figure out if, if assets library does something like that for you. Like if I have a group of assets in the, assets library does it dynamically create some name for it that's not a string no
1: a constant you mean yeah like i don't think so okay that's what i, I want think you still i think you still refer to it as a name yeah i would love to refer to it as a constant instead of a like something that's auto-completable and,
0: and show the image like right there like in the autocomplete list that would be great
1: it'd be a fun holiday xcode hack for one of our awesome listeners. <laughs> I Thought you were gonna say for me. No, no. no.
0: I don't. I don't want to write any Xcode plugins. Like development on Xcode is moving too quickly now. I don't think there's any point. Does Alcatraz work in Xcode five? I haven't checked. I removed it a long time ago.
1: Yeah, I don't use it either. But yeah, it, it does.
0: Now, if we could just get a solid solution for Xcode bots and CocoaPods, I can get rid of Jenkins forever.
1: I actually think that I think that one of the suggestions from. Like I've seen um, Aloy, the you know creator of CocoaPods, he's said a f- number of times recently, look, you guys don't have to be ignoring your pods directory in your repo. Like there's nothing – there's no reason – there's no reason you can't include it, you know, the pods directory. And I think that's his main solution, right? Like if you don't – if you check in your pods, then, then the bot doesn't have to run pod install, right? So,
0: But do you ever end up with merge conflicts? With the pods on? I mean, if you're being smart about it, like...
1: I, I don't know. I, I've been ignoring the pods directory since day one because I was like, sweet, I don't need to include this in my repo.
0: Just a lot of bloat. It'd be better if Apple just gave us like a proper like pre and post hook for Xcode bots. Yeah.
1: I think, isn't there, there's a hack you can do, I think, where you define a, a run script build phase and but then the problem there is that those are executed in a different under a different user than your user. I don't know. I feel like I was reading something about that.
0: Yeah, there's a huge Google Groups thread, which we'll link to in the show notes, where they're discussing how this could maybe work. I'm not going to attempt it until there's like a real solution. And I don't, I don't want to check in my pods. I switched to iTerm this year. I've just been using Apple Terminal for ever. The thing I like is that I have it docked to the left side of the window.
1: Oh, yeah, I do uh, so, and you have it bound to a hotkey? uh yeah, option space.: yeah, I do the same thing um, but with control backtick, and it slides in from the top, like I'm in quake. I like to pretend I'm in quake all the time <laughs> awesome, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> i I tried
0: the top, and then I found that if I was trying to look at like a web page or something and see how something's done and then go back to the terminal, it's easier on the left and just throw the browser over on the right. And get the full height of the screen.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's since I moved to Mutt, but like I found myself moving away from using the kind of visor hotkey terminal and just always having like a terminal window open somewhere or just creating new windows and using tabs inside those windows. Like I have a tab now that has uh, Vim for that Haskell stuff that I was working on, another tab next to that, open to that directory already a tab with mutt open another tab with vim for notes for this and then another tab which i don't know why this is open oh it's because i was looking at the closure repl i'll close that tab
0: you'll closure it you're gonna closure that tab (laughs) yeah brb suicide
1: (laughs) (laughs) wow so that's the thing now uh you know what tony's working on right um no, just tell me. Tony's working on. Um, so for our listeners, it's the holiday party here at Thoughtbot, basically. So the past two days have been like a hackathon thing we've been doing. Um, that's why I've been doing all this Haskell stuff. And Tony, the other one of the other iOS guy here in Boston, is a uh, he's an electrical engineer, and so he's like super into like Arduino and stuff. Um, and so they're making a. They're making an Arduino-backed sensor to tell if the bathrooms are unoccupied. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is a need. In, it, it really is. It, in your You've office. been to our office. It's yes. horrible. There's two bathrooms, and they're around the corner. And we have a general rule of, like, leave the door open, you know, um, so that you come around the corner. And if the do- both doors are closed, then you know that both bath- bathrooms are occupied. But – you got to walk all the way around the corner. like, And then you feel like an idiot. Like you walk up and you're like, oh, and then you kind of have to do the walk of shame back to your desk. And that sucks. So they're building up. They're hooking up these, uh, you know, magnet sensors plus an Arduino plus an API. I'm going to send you the link. I don't want to say it on air, but how many
0: <laughs> How many engineers does it take to use the bathroom effectively yeah That's so good. there's
1: there's actually a Heroku website <laughs> set up, <laughs> yeah, and so display i'm assuming that that means that the bathroom's there's at least one bathroom open. <laughs> i'm gonna leave it open and see if it auto refreshes. I don't even know if this is running anything. see now this is what investment time is for, totally.
0: This is solving a real problem. Solving
1: a problem. We were actually – one of the things we were going to do is write a command line interface to this in Haskell. That was our first idea for a Haskell project. (laughs) It's like querying their API over Haskell. Once this thing is built, I think it's going to be – I give it a day and a half before someone asks me to write a menu bar app to, <laughs> to like put a red or green circle in the menu bar based on whether or not the bathrooms are unoccupied.
0: This should just be indicators everywhere, like that, <laughs> like that display behind Chad. Just like, yeah, throw it up on just there, like a
1: big dashboard. <laughs> I wanted to have it tweet, like have the have the application automatically tweet uh, from an account, and I suggested the format of. Um, seating now available when, the, when there's a bathroom occupied <laughs> all right back to actual stuff <laughs> real things anyway so how so i term 2 you liking it yeah it stays out of my way it's pretty similar to yeah but terminal doesn't have these
0: amazingly beautiful preferences icons it's true thanks Retta. is that why you changed
1: because reddit did the icons for it
0: i'd actually changed before that but then once it got the new icons because the old ones were really bad i don't know we said we were, we were going to do this show about tools we like and then i realized that i don't use a whole lot
1: <laughs> no i i don't either anymore um i mean dash let's see what do i have open right now safari flint tweetbot iterm adium dash textual which is like an irc client because i was on the irc earlier getting some uh, movies getting some wares no oh no i'm in the vim room the zsh room Git haskell thoughtbot objective c wait there's a thoughtbot irc room yeah there's like three people in it it's me melissa george pat brisbane and two people i don't know one might be gabe nope that's garland william bins the third it may still be gabe yeah that sounds like gabe (laughs) (laughs) He's just switched
0: around the, the, the last two initials to try to throw us off. Right. You kind of never know. No, you kind of always know. <laughs> you could try baiting him with bad grammar if he
1: corrects you. the show has gone off the rails. Completely. Like, not even close. Show notes for this episode will be available at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash 21. And as always, we want to hear from you, so email us at
0: buildphase at thoughtbot.com or hit us up on Twitter or app.net at buildface. Also, if you enjoyed the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome on iTunes.
1: This episode was recorded and produced by Mike Manor, edited by Igor Stolarsky.